we're looking at Mark's gospel. By the way, I'm Mark. If I haven't met you yet, I'm the, the rector here, the pastor. And uh, we're looking at Mark's gospel. And one of the things I find interesting about the gospels, if we've been in church a while, is uh, that in the gospels, as and in our experience of reading the gospels, there is a giant elephant in the room with regard to our reading the gospels, isn't there? Maybe not in your room, but in my room. In the mental uh, living room of my soul, there's an elephant. And you know what that elephant is? Guess what that elephant is? Demons. Demons. Healing is a little elephant, a baby elephant, but we can deal with that. But demons, oh my goodness. That's some weird stuff right there in Mark's gospel, isn't it? I've been, I was working on the sermon during this week. I've been thinking a lot about this. I've, every time I preach on the Gospels or teach on the Gospels, I feel like we've got to pause and address this because it's just so outside our typical frame of reference. Sitting in Rosella Espresso, reading, thinking, looking around at everyone and going, mate, if, they, if people here just knew that all I'm thinking about is demons right now, <laughs> they would think I was nuts. They'd think you're nuts. They'd think we're nuts. I mean, we're Anglicans after all. We don't talk about demons. We just all read the Gospels and, and elephant in the room. Let's pretend it doesn't present any problems for us. But it does. So we've got to grapple with what do demons mean in the text and in our lives. And are they real? And what form do they take? And where are they? So, that's what we're going to do today in uh, the uh, 20, 40 minutes, 20 or 5 minutes or so we have left. We're going to try and unpack this and think about this. Um, you see, the problem with demons is they're everywhere in Mark's gospel. Jesus seems to take them seriously. They take Jesus seriously. They're a common, prominent feature of life. But it's terribly hard to believe in demons today. In fact, for the last 200 years, in the church, in academic theological circles, there's been a, a concerted effort led by a, the German school of theologians, a guy called Friedrich Schleiermacher, a concerted effort to try and reinterpret or find a way of understanding how you make sense of these weird bits of the New Testament, like demons and healings and miracles, and make them package the gospel in a way that is acceptable to the sophisticated German intellectuals of Schleiermacher's age. Of course, um, post-Auschwitz, maybe we don't have to look so hard for the presence of demons in elite German culture. So where do we find demons? What are they? It's hard to believe them. Uh, and if you're sitting here this morning, well, you are. If you're, if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I find demons hard to believe. Maybe you're visiting church, someone's brought you along, and you're like, what kind of weird place have I stepped into? This is exactly what I expect from a church whose registered address is 666 Darling Street. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to see heads spinning around any moment now, and Keelan's going to bite the head off a chicken as he comes up to do the last worship set. Uh, if you find it hard to believe in demons, do you know that's okay? Because lots of Jesus' contemporaries did. In fact, in this reading, isn't it great? His family misunderstood him profoundly. There's a lovely Yiddish word, meshuga, 
if someone's just a little nuts. His family thought he was Meshuga. He was nuts. The leaders thought he was nuts. They're like, what's going on here? He's just crazy. So if you find it a little confronting, a little weird, that's okay. You're in really, really good company, and we're going to try and think about it. Now, uh, one way to resolve the tension between then and now is to say to ourselves, and this is a very commonly ex common strategy, uh, one way to resolve it is to say to ourselves, well, listen, listen. They were a pre-modern, pre-scientific, gullible bunch of people. And you and I, we are far more sophisticated. We're not gullible anymore. We live in a, in a modern or postmodern scientific age. So we understand that they were really uh, using religion to explain phenomena that are otherwise explicable by science. So a common one would be, well, uh, demonization was really a lot of undiagnosed psychiatric illness. Right? Now, maybe, could be. C.S. Lewis called this approach, and I want to put it up there for you, uh, uh, chronological snobbery. And chronological snobbery is something if you have, if you're a parent of teenagers, you will be very familiar with, right? Because your kids, by virtue of the fact that they are younger than you and growing up in a far more sophisticated, digitally connected world, know far more than you do. That's just true, isn't it? But it's also true that you know far more than your parents did. And so we extrapolate backwards and we go, well, you know, we are... We are the very pinnacle of human achievement intellectually and morally and spiritually. We have far more insight into the world than anyone else, particularly these primitive sorts. And so this, was the, uh, this is a very commonly adopted thing. Well, this ancient people, what did they know? Well, interesting, isn't it? You think chronological snobbery is, a, is true, is right, is true? Are we that much more sophisticated? Skeptical? I mean, I'll give you two examples uh, to, uh, to illustrate why this is false and not a helpful strategy. Uh, the one, the one uh, argument is Gwyneth Paltrow. She has a website called Goop. Don't go on it. It's, you know, Goop. And, and she, she packages and sells just the most extraordinary amount of mindless, post-scientific, unverified garbage in the guise of science and pseudo-health, and people all over the world buy her crap. Goop. I mean, we are, we are still skeptical. We are still gullible. For all our science, we believe the most extraordinary nonsense, particularly when it comes to health and wellness. Uh, remarkable. Goop. Anyway, that's another story. Gwyneth Paltrow. The other second uh, argument against chronological snobbery, Plato and Aristotle. You speak to anyone who studies the history of Western philosophy and they will say, most of them, all of our Western intellectual tradition is really a footnote on the work of Plato and Aristotle. We're just really derivative thinkers. 
thinking through the implications of the first principles that those guys came to understand about the nature of reality. We're not smarter than them. We have uh, better technology that enables us, with the use of science, when we choose to believe it, to understand elements of the world that they didn't understand. But fundamentally, we're not smarter, we're not less skeptical, we're not more, less, we're not more skeptical, we're not less gullible, we're actually just the same. So chronological snobbery is something we have to guard against. Uh, that's one reason why we find it hard to believe in demons in the way that Jesus did. Uh, I think there's another reason as well. And the other reason is uh, this. It's actually, it's what philosophers call uh, the excluded middle. Let me, un let me unpack what that means. Um, uh, excluded middle, uh, and in fact, I'll show you this. So this is how traditional societies and most places in the world worked. Here's uh, the, the sphere of humans, the sphere of God. And between God and humans um, were, was a whole realm of spiritual beings. Right? And there was no, or to change... Um, uh, intellectual explanations, in the words of Charles Taylor, who's a Canadian sociologist, these people here in traditional societies lived in what he calls um, an unbuffered state. So there's no buffering, there's no gap between the spiritual world and the human world. So all around us, sitting around us right now, we are, we are indwell a world where demons and angels and spiritual beings are swirling all around us, seamlessly between us and God, okay? Now, the excluded middle says, guess what, guys? Uh, here's God. Uh, here's us. And we exclude uh, this middle here. So what we actually live in is a buffered state. Between us and God, there's this massive gap that buffers our experience of God. Uh, now, that's interesting, you say. Big deal. What does that mean? Two things that you need to understand. Firstly, the uh, unbuffered state, the excluded middle, is an intellectual and sociological and philosophical anomaly in the whole history of human experience. It's a distinct minority view that I actually think has only, really has only been held for the last 200 years and I think will disappear reasonably quickly. Uh, and goop is a sign that it's disappearing, right? I think it doesn't work. We realize we live in a world where there is more than just the material. The question is, what will fill the middle? <laughs> And the middle at the moment is being filled by conspiracy theories, a massive amount of anti-scientific garbage uh, that is just complete rubbish that fills it. The spirit, where there's a gap. So the question is, what will fill it, right? So um, uh, that's one thing you need to understand. The second question that's really significant, if you're going to explore Christianity, or if you want to live as a Christian, you want to follow Jesus, which worldview, which approach to the world did Jesus indwell or inhabit? Take your pick. Which one? That one? That one. Okay, so here's the dilemma for us 21st century uh, Sydney-siders. Which are we more comfortable with? 
we live as we live with the excluded middle. We live as deists, effectively. There's God, there's us, and nothing much happens in between. That's why most of us, and maybe I'll just speak for myself, that's why I struggle to pray. That's why I struggle to see people healed. That's why I struggle in all kinds of ways with my spiritual life, because there's this massive gap. Now, if I'm serious about Jesus, one of the things that needs to happen is I need to learn to live in the world the way Jesus did, to see it the way he saw it. And he seemed to take demons pretty seriously, and demons seemed to take him pretty seriously. There was no excluded middle in Jesus' experience. So part of the journey of discipleship, if we really want to lean deeply into Jesus, is to learn to live this way. Now, that's awesome, isn't it? I hear you all going, yes, I'm so excited about that. But in addition to chronological snobbery, making it hard to believe, in addition to the excluded middle, there's a final thing that makes it hard to believe in demons. What do you think that is? It's fear. And the fear takes two, point, two parts. The most obvious fear for you and I <laughs> is that we're just scared that people are going to think we're absolute whack jobs. Because they will, don't you reckon? It might be diminishing now because people buy from Goop and they go, oh, we'll all be very tolerant of kind of unscientific nonsense. But actually, I don't think so. I think still, when, and you know, uh, you know the way Christians who believe in this sort of stuff and, you know, televised Benny Hinn in his white coat throwing things around and, and the sort of the whole tele-evangelist, you just get lumped in the, the crazies like that. And I don't want to be like that, do you? I'm, I mean... I'm educated, you're educated, you're professional people, we're professional people, we want to belong, we want to fit in. When, what's it going to be like if you go into your, into your staff meeting, at, you go to a work meeting tomorrow and you go, man, I think, you know, you're sitting around, maybe you've got a board meeting and you're sitting around with all the directors of the company, you go, look, the real problem is demons. Why is our turnover down? Demons. That's bonkers, right? What if you go into the operating theater tomorrow? And you go, hang on, guys, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Listen, listen, I I'm a Christian. And la yesterday at church, my pastor said to me, there are demons everywhere and I can't live with an excluded middle, middle in, an un in a buffered state. So what we got to do, before, before we cut this poor blighter open, we got to cast out some demons and cleanse the room spiritually. What would happen? You, you, might, you might have a short career in the hospital, right? Um, so we're scared of being seen as idiots. And I get that. Uh, I totally get that. So we, we have to think about, uh, about what that might look like. But there's a deeper fear. A much, much, much deeper fear. And the fear is not just in those of us who are religious, but the fear is everywhere in every human culture. And the fear is this, that just beneath the surface of our lives, lies a swirling mass of chaos, covered over by a thin veneer of civilization and good behavior. And when you start thinking about the demonic, you are plunged into the world of chaos. That's what demons are. They're spiritual forces that are at war with us to bring about chaos and disorder and destruction and dis-ease. So, 
Genesis chapter 3. I'm sure some of you are familiar with the creation story. Uh, how is Satan presented in Genesis? Snakes. We as humans have a deep, primal fear of snakes. So here's our strategy. It's called denial. Because we know at the bottom of the garden in all of our houses, there are snakes. And if you go down there, and if you acknowledge there are snakes, you've got to admit that there's a whole realm of your existence that is terrifying. So we just don't go there. I find it very interesting. Uh, I've been reading and listening to a lot of uh, a Canadian academic and psychologist called Jordan Peterson. Somewhat polarizing. I don't, well, actually not. Yeah, in the culture wars left and right. If you listen to Jordan, one of the things he makes, he's, he's incredibly influential, uh, and he does these amazing uh, lectures on the Bible, and particularly on the creation stories. And one of the things he points out, he makes this point, that, that beneath the surface of the world is chaos, and that is deeply, deeply terrifying. So we try not to think about it, but it's there. So... Uh, what does that mean? Look, we have to uh, understand our propensity to chronological snobbery and reject it for what it is. We have to learn how to live in the world the way Jesus did, with a direct experience of God and of the spiritual world. And then we've got to confront our fears. So you know what? I hate to say it, friends. The veneer of civilization, of order, is only this thick. It's fragile, man. It's so fragile. What are the demons that are lurking under the surface of your life and of mine? I mean, for me, the more I think about this, actually, the more I think, how can you not believe in Satan and in demons, right? How can you not? Once your eyes are open to the chaos of the world, you go, in a, how, can, how can you not believe in demons when, how else do you explain teenage kids buying assault weapons and massacring their peers? Isn't that exactly the kind of thing that we would expect Satan to inspire and demons to empower? How, how else do you explain uh, human propensity to do extraordinary evil to each other. Where, you know, bishops and priests who will commit unspeakable evil against children. How do you explain that? Isn't that exactly the kind of chaos that Satan and his demons would love to see? How do you explain NGOs who go into the developing world in context of humanitarian crisis and then use their, their power and their status to exploit sexually for their own gratification the survivors of the very tragedies they're there to help. Like, that's, that's just satanic, isn't it? I mean, how else? I, I sometimes think, goodness, I, I think we're playing in the world spiritual whack-a-mole you know that game? You kind of something pops up and you have to hit it and pops up. Like no matter how, no matter, you know, you, you bang down one bit of evil and another pops up and another pops up and another pops up and you just, you're whacking it everywhere. How else do you explain Syria and the Middle East? And isn't this exactly what we'd expect? 
there's a fear. <laughs> you know, the fear is not just the demons out there, right? The fear is like the demons in here. Oh boy, that's uncomfortable. Because there's a fear, isn't there, that if I think about this too hard, I'll realize that the chaos is, is actually here and you and I know we're only one decision away from making a complete train wreck of our lives, aren't we? Just ask Barnaby. Like, I don't feel any, jo- I, I just look at the poor bugger and I go, that's me. That's you. We're, the chaos lurks beneath the surface. There are demons that are going to want to get to work in our lives, and you know it and I know it. You're a decision away from wrecking your marriage, from screwing up your kids, from making a shipwreck of your faith, from, being, from giving in to the forces of lust and greed and power and envy and gossip. They're there in us beneath the surface, and they terrify us, but they're there. demons. I mean, have you ever worked, if you work in a big corporate, you go, how dehumanizing can those workplaces be? Five-year-old kids being enslaved to dig minerals out of the DRC. So wealthy, white, inner city dwelling people can drive electric cars. It's satanic, isn't it? seems to me. So the question is, as we confront this morass of evil, the snakes at the bottom of the garden, the demons within us, what do we do? Well, this is why Christianity is incredibly good news, isn't it? Because remember back to the start of Mark's gospel, the whole point of Jesus, of Mark's gospel, is Jesus being presented to us. Uh, it answers this question, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Son of God who's come to bring in God's kingdom. And when we read Mark's gospel, we see that he is the God, Jesus is the God who has authority and power over all the forces of chaos that threaten to overwhelm us. Like, look at this. this is, these verses, 7 to 12, are a summary of the previous two chapters, really, sort of a hinge couple of verses. And looking back, it says, this is, it recaptures, this is what he's doing. Um, crowds are coming to him. He's healing so many that they just come pushing forward to touch him. And then we see this just as a summary. Impure spirits see him. They fall down before him and cry, you're the son of God. He's in control has authority over these beings. And that is good news, isn't it? The whole of the story of the Bible can really be understood as a story of the movement from chaos to order. So in Genesis, for example, you may not have thought of this, in Genesis 1.1, the, the first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, the world was formless and void. Uh, the Hebrew phrase there is tohu vavohu. It's a great phrase. And uh, what it means is that there, the world, God, the world, there was a, a pre-existing state of primordial chaos, which actually, as we read later in the Bible, this chaos was, was, was the context within which Satan and evil forces were rebelling against God. 
So there was a cosmic rebellion, there was chaos, and out of this formless void, spiritual chaos, uh, God creates a good world. And he says, I am going to bring an end to chaos and I'm going to bring order. Uh, and Satan comes in in the garden to disrupt that and to make sure that chaos triumphs. Uh, God then calls to himself Israel. Israel are going to be the people who bring his order out of chaos, but they fail. The, the story of Scripture climaxes with God himself stepping into this chaotic world and saying, there's a new sheriff in town, people. <laughs> I've come. I've come to defeat chaos in all its manifestations, in all its forms. That's the good news. And then Jesus says, the kingdom of God, this place of order versus chaos, this place of healing and of wholeness, of shalom, this experience is now available for anyone who wants to come into it. So come on in, join Jesus in an experience of a world where chaos is defeated. It's open to all, right? That's the good news. We don't have to be afraid anymore. Doesn't that make sense? So you know when um, later in, in the Apostle Paul, another writer of the New Testament, has this amazing claim in, in a letter he wrote, and he says that if you're a Christian, you get a peace that passes all understanding. And so mostly we think about that and we go, well, peace, hmm, that means I don't have to worry about where I'm going to park my car or how my kids are going to do in the HSC or whatever it is, you know, what the health results are going to be. That's sort of true. But I think what he's meaning is something far more profound. He's saying in a world of chaos and spiritual war and destruction and disease where the veneer of civilization is so thin and it could crack at any moment and and, and the snakes could come out of the garden and overtake us. In this world, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can have shalom, you can have peace, you can have wholeness because God is with you and he's defeated the chaos. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated the demons. So you're on the winning side. That's awesome news, right? You ever want to talk to a, a Muslim person about this stuff? It's amazing news. So my, my brother's a Muslim. You probably mostly know that. Um, like most devout Muslims, my brother lives his whole life uh, in a fight between chaos and order, between Satan who sits on his shoulder on one hand and the good angel from God who sits on the other shoulder and whispers in his ear. And every day is a battle between good and evil in, in a Muslim experience. And you never know if you're going to win. It's up to you. What are you going to do? Satan's out to get you everywhere. And then we come along and say, you know what? The battle's been won. I can live with Jesus and I don't have to be afraid. In fact, Jesus goes on later to say, and the Bible says, the reason we don't have to fear the chaos and the demons is because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That when we enter the kingdom of God, when we come into God's presence, when Jesus comes into our lives, what he does is he drives out the evil. <laughs> he drives out the demons. He says, I'll fill you with my Holy Spirit instead of the unholy spirits. You know that in your life. Are you free of fear of the chaos? We're on the winning side. 
The Holy Spirit is in us to give us power and authority because, listen, it's not just about us. God has a plan because immediately after this, Jesus goes up a mountainside and he calls a community of people around him and he appoints the 12. This is a, a, a reconstitution of Israel. But in Israel, it's actually a reconstitution of humanity. So what God is doing is saying, in, this ver in these verses here, he's calling the 12, he's saying, this is what humanity is going to look like. This is the beachhead of, uh, of the new restored humanity, living in the kingdom of God under the rule of Jesus. And he, he says, here's what you've got to do, people. He says, you've got to be with him. Okay, so that's us, right? Followers of, we're with Jesus. Yeah, yes, it's awesome, isn't it? Are you with Jesus? We're here, to, we're with, it's fantastic. But it's not just about being with Jesus, though that's a good start. We've got to go out with Jesus to do two things, to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. All right. Do I hear an amen? <laughs> I mostly hear a, what the? <laughs> what does that mean? Well, if we're with Jesus and he really is good news, you know what? We need to extend the invitation to others to be with Jesus. We need to tell them, listen, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. All this chaos and the misery of the world, it is terrible, it is awful. But the good news is that God's made a way for you to live in peace with Him and with other people forever and for always. It's here now. We've got to tell people that because they're not going to work it out themselves, are they? They're just going to go and buy goop. Or they're going to reject that and just trust science or politics or economics or their wealth. It won't work. Now, we've got to figure out how to do that. That's not an easy thing to do. I know, I hear you. You're all saying, no, no one's interested. That's fine. Go to, go to the people who are interested. That's our commission, right? You want to tell people. You go, okay, we're good Sydney Anglicans. I was expecting to be told that I had to tell people. We, we induce guilt around that. And I, what about the second clause? Hello. Authority to drive out demons. How's that working out in your life? Let me tell you let me tell you how I think this works out in your life. Anytime we bring about justice system reform so that people aren't enslaved, we're driving out demons. Anytime we uh, discover new ways to uh, cure cancer, we're driving out demons. We're moving from chaos to order. We're working with God to push back the boundaries of chaos. We're driving out demons. Anytime we as a community discover a political philosophy of liberal democracy where we can remove incompetent leaders and replace them with slightly less incompetent leaders, we're driving out demons. Anytime we discover that we can learn to trade with each other, reduce tariffs and barriers to trade, and create economic flourishing within communities and empower the poor to trade their way out of poverty and discover the dignity that comes from creating wealth, we're driving out demons. We're lifting people out of poverty. 
Anytime we bring beauty out of the ugliness of this world through our music and through our art, we're driving out the demons, the chaos, and we're bringing in order. See how it works? Anytime we come to, uh, to work with families in distress and chaos and we, and we see marriages healed and children returning to honor their parents, we're driving out demons, bringing order out of chaos. That's part. This is kingdom work. This is what God sends us out into the world to do, isn't it? You might not have thought that, that by those means of science and economics and, and law reform and politics and marriage and family therapy, you're actually having authority over demons, but you are. You go, well, that's all very rationalist, Mark. Is that all? No, there's more. Because you know what? The demons we can address systemically out there, but we also need to address the demons in here. So let me tell you this, that you and I also have the authority to deal with individual, personal demons who can plague people. When I was speaking about this, hey kids, when I was speaking about this uh, a few years ago um, at a church, and uh, some of you will be listening online and you will have been there in Canada, large church preaching through Mark's gospel, came to this, talked about demonization and, and the experience of people living under the influence of demons in the here and now. And I said at the end, if anyone wants prayer, uh, if, if you feel that's, that, that demons have had an impact in your life and you'd want prayer to be free from these things, just come down the front afterwards and, and we'd love to pray with you. Before I'd even finished, a lady comes, down the, comes, comes rushing down the front, fully manifesting demons. In, in the middle of this large, very together Anglican church. And we just prayed for her and the demons left. I've had numerous experiences of, of this kind of prayer where we tell people about Jesus and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and then the demons manifest and then the demons leave. Had a woman who came to us. Uh, she uh, had had a background work in... Uh, Let's politely put it, the adult entertainment industry. Long history of abuse, long history of drug addiction. She'd come to Christ. She'd been discipled. Her life was still a mess. She came into my office and uh, we went through a process of repentance and asking the Holy Spirit to fill her and rejecting sin. And she just started to manifest demons. And so for three hours, I had a conversation with these demons. And one by one, they would speak to me and they'd tell me how stupid I was and they'd, they'd manifest in different voices and I'd, we'd repent of the sin and then I'd tell them to leave and they'd leave. And we did that over and over again and she left the office a new person. She had two years of, you know, NA to complete the process of healing, but she's now transformed. Absolutely, totally transformed. A key moment in my life was, uh, and I've told this story in brief, and, and I might tell it again at some point, a key moment in my life, 15 years into my journey in full-time vocational ministry, having people pray for me and demons come out of me and be set free from a whole bunch of stuff. So it happens. It's just what happens. It's not super, it's just the way it is. And it's not different to justice system reform and economics and policy and free trade, which are all good things. And they push, they, they, they set more people free from demons than one-on-one -on -one exorcisms. But let me tell you, the one-on-one -on -one exorcisms are real. Christians can be demonized. I don't talk about demon possession, 
but Christians can be demonized. That's why Paul says, in, or the writer in Ephesians says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not give Satan a foothold in your life. We can give Satan a foothold in our lives, individually and corporately. Our sin allows demons foothold, so we must repent of our sins. And then we must, in the power of Jesus, be rid of any, uh, just c- command them to go out. And let me tell you, until we do that, until we realize this is a, an integral part of life in the kingdom of God, I think we're like, a, we're like someone going into a boxing match with one arm tied behind their back. No wonder we're not powerful. No wonder we're not effective. No wonder people aren't set free because we're missing a whole dimension of reality. So, you don't have to be weird to do that, by the way. I don't think I'm that weird. You don't have to go looking for it, but you've got to be open to it. And it's exciting because we're on the winning team, right? Yeah, that's good news. In all its dimensions, Jesus wants to heal us and set us free intellectually and emotionally and physically and spiritually. And that is wonderfully good news. And he wants to do it individually. He wants to do this work in our church. He wants to do this work in our city. And as Billy Graham said, the gospel is for the whole world. This is good news for the whole world, isn't it? That's our, it's good news. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that it is good news that you have authority over demons, over chaos and disorder and destruction and division and disunity and disease uh, and everything that pulls apart our world. You are Lord over these things. Forgive us when we, when we lose sight of that, when we give in to fear. Thank you that you are Lord over the demons and over Satan. I want to pray, Jesus, over our church that you will so fill us with your spirit that Satan and his demons will have no influence over us. In the name of Jesus, I say to you now, Satan, you have no authority, no power over this church or anyone in it. Satan, I command you in the name of Jesus to take you and your demons from every family, from every relationship, from every small group, from every workplace that we're involved with and be gone in the name of Jesus because you are a defeated foe, Satan. Your demons have no power over us because Jesus is greater than you. He has defeated you once and for all, so be gone. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.